0: Good morning, church. This is Pastor Jody, live from Israel. We are in Jerusalem right now, where it is colder than I like, but I am having a good time. Uh, I want to say thank you for letting me take this tour with a great group of people. Uh, They are having a wonderful time getting to see the places where Jesus walked and ministered, and uh, I want to say thank you for allowing me to lead them over here. I also want to say good morning and hello to my beautiful wife, Haley. Hey, babe. Hope you're doing well. I miss you and the kids. See you soon, a couple of days, and I'll be back home and I also want to let you know this morning, church, you're going to get a great blessing. Pastor Steve Holsinger is going to be here preaching the word to you this morning. So could you do me a big favor this morning and stand to your feet and give him the biggest round of applause. Wow. All right. Thank you. I didn't know we got to vote on whether he went or not. But uh, I'm glad he did. And if you uh, ever get the chance to send any of your pastors to Israel, do it. It'll enrich their lives. It'll enrich their teaching. Uh, it'll correct some of their errors, uh, and it'll it'll make a difference. Uh, it'll definitely make a difference. So before we go into Daniel, uh, I have three pictures from my trip to South Sudan. Uh, two weeks ago, I preached in a village, and this is the village of a young man named James. And I think James is the next picture. Yeah, this is James, graduated from Bible college this year, started a church in his home village uh, toward the end of the year, and I want you to notice what he's standing on. Go to the next one. Look at that. That marks this place, this tree, as a church. It's a house of prayer. Anybody who comes there will see the cross and know not to cut that tree, for sure, uh, and also that it's set apart for worship of God, and when James preaches, he stands on the cross. And I thought that was pretty cool. All right, so we're uh, continuing a series that Jody began last week in the book of Daniel. And I wasn't here, uh, and I didn't take time to look it up. So I hope I don't do too much damage to what he has in mind for the series. I'm really only going to use one verse, so it shouldn't be a problem. And it, of course, is the story of a young man of exceptional character, but I got to thinking about that, and I'm not so sure that his character was really exceptional. He may have been a typical Jewish young person. And Daniel faced a crisis. He was carried away into captivity. And when they got there, uh, got to Assyria or Babylon, wherever he was carried away to, they said, we're going we're gonna to give you a special diet from the king's table, and we're going to groom you uh, for leadership, special leadership program." And Daniel said, I'm sorry, but I can't eat that stuff. Uh, I've never eaten uh, anything that wasn't kosher, and I can't do that. And so he faced a crisis, and he was prepared for it. And really, I got to thinking about it this morning. I don't know that his crisis, young people, was any more significant than the one you face. I think if Daniel had gone to the typical United States high school he'd have been in a crisis. And he would have said, what's going on here? How does this happen? Why is this happening? What what happened? But whatever the crisis was, Daniel was prepared. And the verse that we want to look at is Daniel 1, verse 8. And we're really focusing on one word today. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine... And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And you know that he put together a special deal, said if we go 10 days with, uh, and I don't eat that stuff um, and I don't defile myself according to my faith and my practice, uh, then check me out. And if I'm not healthier than the other guys, we'll deal with it then. But he, he put together that arrangement with them because he was resolved. Now, the word resolve means to decide firmly on a course of action. And what that means in Daniel's case is that before he was carried away captive, he made some decisions. Before he was ever selected to be carried off and put into this leadership program, he had already made some decisions about his faith and about himself. And I think that this is one of those cases where you have to use what I call sanctified imagination. You have to Ask God to help you see what's not said in the text. And I think that Daniel had a mentor. And I think it's amazing that in this church, young people, your your leaders, Pastor Jody and your elders, have chosen you a great mentor. His name happens to be Daniel. Isn't that cool? (laughs) Everybody needs a mentor. Everybody needs somebody that can model what it is they're trying to do. In my case, it was my dad. If you'd asked me when I was eight years old, what's, what's great about your dad? I would have said, he's a fast walker. And I always tried to keep up with him. And the reason he was a fast walker was because he was never a driver. My dad was so nervous that one time my mom tried to teach him to drive and, and we kids in the back seat begged her to stop. Just don't, you know, don't do this, and uh, and he was glad to uh, answer our pleas. He said, "Yeah, I think they're right," and and as far as I know, he never had a driver's license his whole life. But he was a fast walker, and my wife's been trying to keep up with me for fifty years, saying, "Slow down, slow down." And the people I travel with, I'll stop in the airport and look back and wait for him to catch up, and it's just an unconscious. Thing because that was modeled to me as a, a young child. I'd go to work with my dad on one of his two or three jobs because my dad was a hard worker uh, and we'd, we'd walk fast to get from our house to wherever he was working or wherever the ride was and so I learned to be a fast walker and I learned to be a hard worker from my dad. I often went to work with him and actually the last year I was in college he went to work with me uh, and I had a night job cleaning a bowling alley, and he'd go with me at night and help, and that was what he could do to to help with my last year of college. He had a great tender heart. Uh, I remember calling home from college, and I'd talk to my dad for a minute, and pretty soon my mom would come on the line, and I'd say, what happened to dad? And she'd say, he can't talk right now. And I said, what's wrong? She said, he's crying. Because he misses you so much. And that was my dad. Uh, he loved my mom. Unashamedly, he would tell anybody. I don't know how in the world this nervous guy ever proposed to her. Maybe she proposed to him. I, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, they got married somehow and had four kids. He had a great, tender heart. I remember one time he, uh, he disciplined my brother and I. I don't know what we did, but it must have been bad because usually my mom you know meted out justice instantly and swiftly you know swiftly and harshly and uh, this time my dad was doing it and that was pretty notable by itself and he had it was me and my brother and we had done something awful and for some reason I can't remember what it was but we had done something that warranted my dad actually doing the discipline he took his belt off and said you know I gotta whoop you And he started swinging that belt, and he never hit either one of us because he was crying too hard. (laughs) And I vowed that I would never make that man cry again. And actually, his tears were a much more effective discipline than his belt. I lost my dad as a mentor when I was 20. He got Alzheimer's, early onset. He was sick for 20 years. By the time he performed our wedding, he was already gone. I mean, he had about eight prayers because he forgot what he was supposed to do. And I was up there coaching him, and everybody in the room knew. I was saying, Dad, you're supposed to kiss the bride now. And so he said, Oh, Stephen, kiss the bride. But, uh, but he was already fading. But I remember those talks, and somebody had a talk with Daniel. Somebody led him into a resolve. That Daniel, if this ever happens to you, here's what you need to do. Here's what it means to be faithful to our faith. Here's what it means to be a faithful man of God. Somebody had mentored him. And I remember those conversations. My dad one time said, Stephen, you're, you're a whole singer. And I've tried to make that mean something in this community. And it really did. People knew he was honest, they knew that he was upright, they knew he loved Jesus, uh, and they knew he was genuine about his faith and and I remember him talking to me. Became a Christian when I was fourteen. And I remember him saying, Okay, you're becoming a Christian. And that means Jesus is your boss now. You've been responsible to, to me and your mom for this time, but from now on it's different. Because you're my son, but you're my brother. And you need to obey me, not because I'm your father, but because Jesus is your Savior. Because Jesus is your Lord. And if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you've got to act like one. I want to be that kind of mentor to you today for a few moments. I don't know if you, I'd be willing to bet that most of you didn't have a dad like that. And that, I'm sorry for that. We've got to nation of uninvolved dads. We've got a, a nation of dads who've abandoned their kids. We've got a nation of dads who are too busy to bother with their kids. We've got a nation of dads that don't sit down and talk to their kids about the things that matter. And if you're a dad, there's your resolve. If your child makes a decision to become a Christian, you sit down with them and talk to them about what it means to have Jesus as Lord and, and what, what your relationship's going to be like from now on. But I want to challenge you today to resolve to walk the Jesus walk. What if you could find one verse in the New Testament that just wrapped it all up and put it in a neat little package? And, and, and what verse would that be? Well, You might say, well, it's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that's, that's a good one. That's a salvation verse. And maybe we could, somebody would say, well, I think it's Romans 8, 28. Whatever happens, God causes it to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I would say those are good verses. And there's probably a lot of other ones that you would nominate for the nutshell verse. Christianity in a nutshell. But my nomination, since I'm preaching today and I get to choose, is is 1 John 2, verse 6. This is how we know we are in him. So what does that sentence mean? That means here it is at the heart of it. Here it is in a nutshell. Here's, here's the bottom line. Any of you bottom line kind of people? Here's the bottom line about Christian faith. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Ooh, Let's go back to John 3.16. And talk about how much God loves me. No, he said, if you want to know if you're, if you're really a follower of Jesus, here it is. You have to walk like he walked. And I had to deal with a crisis. I lost my dad. I didn't, he wasn't dead. He was just gone. It was a horrible day when I had to put him in a rest home. I cried all the way home, two hours. I tried to figure out a way to get him out of there. I went back to visit him, and he just faded away. At one point, he thought I was one of his brothers, and then after that, he just didn't know who I was. He shrunk down to where he probably weighed 100 pounds, maybe less. I went to see him, and he was in a wheelchair, and, and I wanted to help him get back, in, back into bed. He couldn't get into bed, and I finally just picked him up. And I was standing there holding my dad like a baby, and and I don't say this very often, but there's a few times in my life when God spoke to me, and that was one of them. And I was standing there holding him, crying. And God said, you would never know this kind of tender love without this happening. And he let me know it was preparation. And that was a great sense of comfort, but it was also a great sense of loss. My mentor's gone. But what it meant was that I had to get serious about my relationship with Jesus. And that really was a change in the way that I approached it. I was no longer trying to please my dad, no longer trying to not make him cry. I made him cry a few times with pride, and that was wonderful. But I had to switch my allegiance, and everybody comes to that point. Daniel came to that point where it was no longer Daniel and his mom and dad and Daniel and the other Hebrews. It was Daniel and God. And he had a choice between obeying God or obeying the captors. And for most people, most people would have said, what can I do? I don't have any choice. I'm, I'm a slave. I'm a captive. What, what can I do? But somebody had prepared Daniel for that moment, and he had, what was that word? Resolve. See, resolve has two meanings to it. First one he said was, Uh, to decide firmly on a course of action. The other is to resolve a conflict. And he had decided ahead of time how to resolve the conflict. There was going to be a conflict between his faith and his life as a a Jewish young man and the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And he resolved that conflict because he said, I'm not going over to their side. It's not going to happen. No matter what, I, I think Daniel was ready to die if necessary. He was resolved. So what is the Jesus walk? The people of Jesus' day used to talk about walking in the dust of the rabbi. And what they meant was that they would walk so closely to their rabbi that the dust from his sandals would kick up and cover their clothes. And that the desire was to walk in the dust of your rabbi. And you can see them. Jody's probably seeing them in Jerusalem today. You'll see a rabbi with his students. And the rabbi is walking along. And the students are doing exactly the same thing, like a bunch of little ducks. And they're, they're learning from that rabbi. And they've made it their goal not just to be like him. They want to be him. Their goal is someday to be him. And that's what we're called to. We're called to make Jesus our mentor. And it's not just a sinner's prayer. It's not just regular church attendance. It's not church membership. It's not even tithing and giving or baptism. It's the Jesus walk. There's a lot of Jesus talk. There's a whole bunch of people in our world that are looking for somebody that really walks the Jesus walk because they're tired of all the people in our country that talk the Jesus talk but don't live it. We're known, sadly, the followers of Jesus are known for bigotry. We're known for racism. We're known for judgmental, judgmentalism. Is that a word? We're known for hypocrisy. We need to be known for walking like Jesus walked. We need to be the people that people say, you know, there's something different about that guy. There's something different about her. And they may not even know what it is, but we do. Because we've made a commitment, we've resolved to walk the Jesus walk. Now, it's not the Jesus run. You may have noticed that. I've been working at it pretty hard. For 55 years. And I'm not there yet. It's it's one of the only pursuits in life where you'll you'll never arrive. You just have to keep walking, walking in that dust. It's a lifelong, everyday, day in, day out walk. What's the Jesus walk? Well, if you ask Jesus, they did ask Jesus. They said, Put it in a, a sentence for us, put it in a nutshell. And he said, Love the Lord your God with all. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and your neighbor is yourself. And they went, oh, I was afraid of that. Wow. Another rabbi would have said, well, you got Rabbi Ben-Gurion, blah, 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 blah. And they say this and they say that. Jesus just said, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. That'll take the rest of your life right there. But the Jesus walk includes the yabbits. You know what the yabbits are? The yabbits are those verses that everybody explains away. It's the ones where you say, what Jesus said, and your pastor, not our pastor, but somebody's pastor, will say, yeah, but... For example, Jesus said, if someone strikes you on your right cheek, what are you supposed to do? Offer him your left. And immediately somebody says, yeah, but nobody does that. Somebody says, yeah, but Jesus didn't really mean that. Well, if he did, why did he say it? And more than that, why did he do it? Because he didn't just say it. When they arrested him and when they began to beat him, he didn't try to escape it. In fact, he stood up to it and he took it because he knew that it was by his stripes you would be healed. He did it for your sake and mine. And then he called us to live that same kind of life. Yeah, but... Well, and then the smart Alex says, yeah, but he didn't say what to do after that first and second strike. <laughs> well, obviously he's saying, take it. Why? Because... We are supposed to live the kind of life that makes people ask, why? Why why are you that way? Why do you do that? Because eventually we want them to get to the right question. They say, why? Then they say, how? How do you do that? But eventually the right question comes out, which is who? Who's your mentor? Who's your model? Who are you relying on? And we finally get to the real answer. Well, I'm walking the Jesus walk. Don't tell them you're a Christian. Don't tell them you're a church member. Tell them you're you're really sincerely working hard at walking the Jesus walk. See, Jesus said to love your enemies. Yeah, but no, no. Yeah, but he said to love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you. Respond to evil with good. He meant it. He didn't give any exception clauses. There's no, there's no yeah, but there. In Luke six, he said. Loan to anyone who asks you. And he said, what virtue is there if you loan to the person who can repay you? He said, loan money to people who can't repay you. And everybody I've ever met says, yeah, but if you do that, what's going to happen? You're going to lose money. Yeah, probably. I mean, by the nature of it, he's saying, be like your father in heaven. That's, That's where the model comes from said, be like your Father in heaven and do good to those who can't do good in return and lend to those who can't repay. Is that hard to understand? It's it's there in Luke 6. Look it up. Is it hard to understand? Hello? Is it hard to do? Yeah. Do you know why it's hard to do? Because we say, well, I don't want to loan my money to people who can't repay. And I'm not going to tell you how much, but... I've been practicing this for quite a while, Deanna and I, and and you could buy a house for cash with what we've laid out. And some of it we got back, but not most of it. And I've never met anybody who says, yeah, I I practice that. I do that regularly. Well, you say, well, that's not a problem because I don't have any money. (laughs) Well, lucky you. (laughs) For some reason, I do it and I do have some money. You think there might be a connection? Yeah. Because the Lord honors those who obey him. He's looking for people he can trust. And one of the ways that he determines that is with the money. And you know how it works? Uh, Ed Young Jr. shared this, and I'll share his illustration. He went to a baseball game with his daughter, his 10-year-old daughter. One of his older kids was playing ball, and they went to uh, watch the game. And on the way, they, you know, they put the snack shack right at the entrance So you have to walk your kids past the snack shack to get to the game. And so she said, Daddy, 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 can I get some Skittles? So he said, Sure. He gave her some money. She went and bought some Skittles. And they got to the game, and they're sitting there watching the game. And he says, "Uh, uh, Hey, Macy, give me some Skittles. She says, Those are my Skittles. Get your own Skittles. And he grabs the Skittles and says, Wait a minute. Where would you get these Skittles? And she said, you bought them for me. He said, yeah, I bought them for you. She said, yeah, they belong to me. (laughs) Been there, done that. We all say, you know, oh, God's the provider of everything. God owns everything. I'm just a steward. But when it comes to that verse, we say, yeah, but I'm not going to do that. Give money to people who can't repay. Are you kidding John 4 says in verse 1 that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He was traveling with his disciples, and he had to go through Samaria. And in John 4, he meets the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Why did Jesus? Nobody had to go through Samaria. No Jew certainly ever had to go through Samaria. In fact, they would go way out of the way to avoid going through Samaria because they didn't want to uh, encounter Samaritans. If they did, they'd be considered unclean. And they called Samaritans dogs. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why? Because he had to confront injustice. He had to confront the way that woman was being mistreated. He had to confront racism. He wasn't willing to sit on the sidelines and just ignore it. He wasn't willing to go around so that he wouldn't have to confront it and deal with it. He had to go through Samaria. So if I'm going to walk the Jesus walk, I have to go through Samaria. What does that mean? Well, it means I have to deliberately, consciously, purposely reach out to people who are completely different than me. A different color, a different culture, a different background, a different understanding, a different belief, a different kind of faith. And so whenever I encounter somebody from a different country who's here, I say thank you. Thank you for coming to America. How can I pray for you? Usually they're shocked. The Indian guy who runs the quick stop, you say, Thank you for coming to America. Usually I say, Where are you from? Oh, I'm from India. Oh, what part? And after I talk to them, they say, You've been to more places in India than I have. (laughs) And I'll say, Yeah, I've been privileged, but thank you for coming to America. We need good people. We need people like you. They're not used to hearing that. And some of them will say, Are you a Christian? Because that's the only way they can make any sense out of it. And I say, well, I'm a Jesus follower. The Jesus walk. He tells us to love our friends and forgive them. Sometimes it's not our enemies that are hardest to love. It's our friends. And Christians aren't doing very good at forgiving each other. Our divorce rates as high as anybody's. Our conflict rate... The quarreling rate is as high as anybody's. The world looks at us and says, what's the big deal? They're no different than me. But if we walk the Jesus walk, then we forgive each other. And Peter asked about that. He thought, he thought he knew what Jesus was doing and saying. He said, Master, how many times do I have to forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? Because that's what the rabbis said. In fact, they said, if you forgive someone seven times for the same thing, you're a perfect man. So Peter, he's gunning for perfection. He's he's waiting for Jesus to say, Peter, if you've forgiven John seven times, you're a perfect man. Awesome. What did Jesus say? Seventy times seven. There's a question whether he said 77 or 70 times. It doesn't really matter, does it? Because it's out of reach for most of us. But that's what He said. He said, if your brother sins against you, forgive him 490 times if necessary. What does that mean? That means you just have to have a limitless supply of forgiveness. And we say, Jesus, where am I going to get that? And he says, that'd be me. Because that's the way I forgive you. And you and I are way past 490 We're called to walk in compassion. Someone has rightly said that Jesus' miracles are all miracles of compassion. They're all miracles intended to let people know that God loves people who are suffering, that he's aware of their pain, that he's not okay with disease. He's not okay with impairment. He's not okay with the things that require compassion. And he is a God of compassion. And so we live in a nation that puts their mentally ill people out on the street and says, fend for yourself. Yeah, but I, I didn't make that decision. No, but we're all culpable because that's what we're doing. You know, package up our old people and put them in a place, put them in a home. Why? Because, well, taking care of them more than that would take, well, require compassion. (laughs) And that's in pretty short supply. See, this so-called Christian nation isn't looking so Christian these days. And it really needs some Jesus followers, some, some people who walk the Jesus walk, to just step up and resolve to be different and say, not at my house. Not not doing that. Gonna do better than that. Jesus walked in dependent obedience. He made a resolve to obey. Jody and the team will be going to the Garden of Gethsemane. The garden, it literally is the Garden of Crushing. It's where the olives were crushed and pressed so that the oil would come out. Three different pressings. And Jesus was there praying three different times. And what was his prayer? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do it. His flesh was saying, I know what's going to happen. They're going to beat me within an inch of my life. And when they're done beating me, they're going to make me drag a cross through Jerusalem. And when I've dragged that cross through Jerusalem to the bus depot, which it is now, to the main street, they're going to put me on a cross and hang me up naked for everybody in town to see. And I don't... For some reason, he didn't want to do that. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. When you signed up to be a Jesus follower, that's what you signed up for. I got rebuked on this trip. I was flying in on an old Russian prop jet, and it had a a bar over the emergency door and a rope, and it said, in case of emergency, use the rope. You're supposed to let yourself down through the hatch with the rope. And I thought, what are you supposed to do, make a noose and hang yourself? Uh, and and I turned to my partner and said, I'm not doing this again. I'm going to do this one more time. And the Lord rebuked me and said, you're going to do it as many times as I tell you to do it. Because you're not here to be comfortable. And I was so grateful to be there a few days later when I got to speak to a couple thousand people in Freedom Square and present the gospel to them. And I've just signed up for a life of radical obedience that takes old men to dirty, hot, messy places. And and that's what I signed up for. Walk in obedience, walk in purpose. It says eventually that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, told his followers, let's go to Jerusalem. They said, we can't go to Jerusalem. They'll kill you. And he said, I know. They're going to kill me. And he told them he was going to rise again. They didn't hear that part. But he walked in purpose. So here's what I want you to do. Resolve. It's a simple statement. Resolve to read the red and do what it said. Can you remember that? Read the red and do what it said. What's that? Well, the red is the words of Jesus. And if you've signed up to be a serious Christ follower, then resolve that you're going to do it. Even, even that thing about loaning money to people who can't repay, that everybody says he didn't mean. Yes, he did. He just didn't doesn't let you keep your Skittles. And if you're giving away his money, you don't have a problem with it, do you? It's just when you're thinking about giving away your money, that you get a problem. If I have to think about giving my money, I don't want to give my money. But I already learned a long time ago that it's not my money. So if it's not my money and, so, and, and it's obedience to him, hey, it's not a problem. Resolve to read the red and do what it said. Decide firmly and follow a course of action. So here we are, First John 2, verses 3 through 6. We just read verse 6 before. Here's the rest of it. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Liar or truth teller? You have to decide. He says a lot of people who say they know Jesus are liars because they don't do what He says. But if anyone obeys His word... God's love is truly made complete in Him. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. Resolve to walk the Jesus walk. Resolve to make His one perfect life your one personal pursuit for the rest of your life. You know what happens if we don't obey? Oh, he says we're a liar, but you know what's worse? Whenever I don't obey, I begin to doubt. Whenever I don't obey, I begin to doubt. If I ignore that command about loaning to the one who can't repay, if I ignore what he said about loving my enemies, if I ignore what he said about not retaliating, and and I give myself a yabbit, you know what happens with yabbits? They create doubts. Pretty soon, you're living in fear. There's a lot to fear in the way our world is going. And only the people who are walking lockstep with Jesus, see, they're only worried about the next step. Those are the ones who are not afraid. Those are the ones who don't fear. They're the ones who don't have doubts because they're too busy making sure they follow that next step. And so you have a choice, truth or lie, Confidence or fear? Look at resolve's result. Back to Daniel, chapter 10, verse 12. An angel appeared to Daniel and said, Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind, what is that? Resolve. Since the first day that you resolved to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. You know what happens if you commit yourself? You resolve to walk as Jesus walked? You get supernatural help. Jesus said, as you're going, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, as you're going into the world, preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always till the end of the age. Baptize them, teach them. And the promise is, if you, go, if you obey me, I'm there. You obey me, you're not alone. You're partnering with me. You make it your commitment to walk as I walk, I'll help you. In fact, if you want to walk as I walk, I'll slow down so you can keep up. He's never going to walk off and leave you. It's an individual walk. But you have to be committed. You have to be, what was that word? Resolved. You have to resolve the conflict between you and the world. You have to resolve the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. You have to resolve the conflict between you and friends who aren't Christians who think you're nuts. You just got to resolve it and say, no, it's about me and Jesus. It's his money. It's his life. I've given it to him. And it's my job just simply to follow. So we're going to pray. And we're going to do as we normally do. I'm going to have you pray a prayer with me. You won't be alone. Everybody's going to pray it together. For some of you, it might be the first time that you've been confronted with a choice about following Jesus, about becoming a person who walks as Jesus walked. You might be sitting here just filled with conviction, knowing that you call yourself a Christian, but you don't walk it. But if anybody asked you if you're a Christian, you'd say yes. But if they ask you, do you walk the Jesus walk, if you were honest, you'd say, well, no. Are you really walking as Jesus walked? Yeah, but no. No, no yeah, but either you are or you aren't. So if you haven't been, this is the day to sign up. And so just stand with me and, and let's pray this prayer together. You can, you can uh, follow it right after me whether you're a follower who just wants to re-sign or a new recruit. So here we go. Dear Lord, we want to follow you. We are resolved to walk as you walked. Our commitment from this day forward is to be people of truth who walk like Jesus walked. We're trusting you to help us to strengthen us, and to lead us. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen.